The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here. And on this week's episode, I'm joined by the CEO of Breeze Distro and the co-founder and executive director of Supernova Women, the one and only Amber Center. Amber, thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast. And uh, I invite you to tell the people more about yourself and the work you do in the industry. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. So, uh, as you just mentioned, I'm CEO of Breeze Distro. Uh, Breeze Distro is a uh, distribution and manufacturing uh, company headquartered in Oakland, California. Uh, We also uh, have a delivery service uh, called Shady Pines Box Club, which is a subscription box service um, that um, uh, supplies our members with cannabis uh, every month. So, it's been... uh, really fun, awesome uh, uh, business that we launched uh, on 420. I'm also a co-founder and executive director of Supernova Women, and uh, we are a nonprofit organization. We just got our 501c3 status, which is awesome. And uh, we are a group of women that works to, a group of women of color that works to empower people of color uh, to become uh, self-sufficient shareholders in the cannabis industry. So we do that through uh, education, advocacy, and network building. So uh, we host uh, uh, events, uh, workshops, panel discussions. Uh, We also advocate very heavily on behalf of black and brown people uh, that are um, in cannabis, working to uh, lower barriers of entry so it's easier for us to operate. Um, And then we also um, host a lot of networking events, which uh, during COVID has been bit of a challenge but you know we're figuring things out as we go along (laughs) awesome amazing well thank you for the intro and thank you for all the cool work you do in the industry um how oh my pleasure it's an honor to have you here i want to ask you how or why did you decide to enter the legal cannabis industry yeah so um I've always been a fan of cannabis (laughs) since I was like 18. I started smoking and um, kind of dealt with a lot of uh, health issues growing up as a kid. And when I started smoking weed, uh, I just felt immediately better and they all went away. And I remember being so upset. Uh, It was like I was happy, but I was extremely upset at the same time. And I was upset because I had been taught that cannabis was bad and it was wrong and um you know I I was always like straight A student when I was in school um I um wanted a dare uh poster design contest so I was like really roped into the propaganda you know and um when I smoked weed that 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 first time and it it made me feel so much better. I felt like I had just been lied to this whole time, which I had been, you know, and uh, I was really upset. And uh, I decided from then on that I was going to smoke weed every day, which I've pretty much been a daily consumer ever since I was 18. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so uh, I ended up getting really sick when I was, let's see, in 2003. Um, I was 33 years old, and uh, I was diagnosed with lupus and Lyme disease, which is crazy. Uh, I got Lyme disease when I was working on a farm, and I feel like that might have activated the lupus. So um, I was trying to figure out what I I was going to do. I was living in Chicago at the time, and uh, I had a friend. uh, I was a blogger, an avid cannabis blogger. And uh, I had a friend who was, uh, had a cannabis company here in Oakland. And uh, I posted on Facebook, like, hey, friends, um, 
you know, I was just diagnosed with lupus. Uh, I need to get out of Chicago. I was very hyperactive to the cold. And uh, one of my friends was like, or actually I was looking to move to Atlanta. And my friend out here in California is like, hey, why don't you consider California? And uh, of course, like I've always wanted to live and move to California. I just didn't have a way, you know, there was, there was no opportunities for me here. And uh, he's like, you can come work for me. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I took him up on his offer and I moved uh, to California in February of 2014 uh, doing sales and marketing for an edibles brand. And uh, once I was here, um, it took me about six months for my health to kind of level out, but um, I knew that uh, I really needed to be here to have uh, access to all the cannabis products uh, that were on the market. And it just the temperature, you know, the climate here is much, uh, much better for me in dealing with my illness. So um, yeah, I moved here and started my cannabis journey. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. That's awesome. So fast forward to today, you know, I'm wondering what's it like being Amber Center, you know, running a product company in California, you got the, the Congo club sitting right behind you. Yeah, so right. I, I'm curious to, to hear more about, you know, like what's the day to day like, and what's it like being you today? Ooh, today. Okay. Let's see what I got today. I got up this morning, watered all my plants in my garden. <laughs> not not campus garden, but actually vegetables and, and flowers garden. Um, I've already taken a few phone calls. Uh, one from, I have a friend who's an owner of Cookies. You know, she's called me this morning, uh, Cookies Oakland. So that's, um, we're just talking dispensary stuff. Uh, let's see, as soon as I finish up uh, this podcast, I've got to book it to Oakland and uh, we're buying a building. And so I'm doing my official walkthrough of the, the building today and uh, checking out those things. And then uh, it was kind of crazy here, uh, not kind of crazy, very, very crazy here in Oakland last week. We had a lot of um, uh, uh, civil unrest and um, riots and looting and robberies and all kinds of stuff happening. So um, we moved our inventory uh, to Central Valley, California and uh, now I've got to go and pick it up after I do my walkthrough and uh, move our inventory uh, back into Oakland. So, and then calls, 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 and working on, uh, uh, we, we got a city contract with the city of Oakland to run a social equity shared kitchen for social equity manufacturers. And uh, I'm in the paperwork thick of that right now, so I've got to shore up a bunch of things this afternoon with that. Um, but th those are, th that's kind of like a, a glimpse in, in the day of the life of me. I'll, I'll stop by my warehouse, say what's up to my staff. You know, I usually go by there once or twice a week and uh, make sure the place isn't falling apart, but I got a good staff. So, you know, they do a great job. Um, and um, yeah, <laughs> that is Wednesday for Amber, you know? <laughs> Amazing. And, and just for the folks <laughs> listening or watching at home, it's only 9.15 a.m. where Amber is right now. So she's already been up and at it, you know, talking yes. to talking dispensary stuff, watering the plants, now doing yes. a podcast. And, you know, I, I, would, I would just be rolling out of bed at this time. Not even, I'd be, <laughs> if I'm being honest, I'd still be sleeping at 9.15. But, you know, anyway. <laughs> um, Amber, you mentioned it a little bit. Um, as far as, you know, the riots and protests and all the stuff that's going on right now everywhere. And I know in Oakland and the Bay Area, I imagine like every big city, there's a lot of stuff happening. But, you know, 2020, even before the George Floyd and, all, you know, all the stuff that has resulted, um, 2020 has been a crazy year, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> right with yeah. pandemic and everything so i'm curious how that's if you could speak a little bit about how that's impacted your business or your business yeah sure it's been really like a wild ride um whew, uh when covid uh started i actually ended up getting really sick 
and uh, that was hard. I had to take care of myself. I was in quarantine. I uh, couldn't have anybody help me, you know, so that was a rough ride for a couple of weeks, three weeks. Um, but I was constantly working while we were going through all of this, which is also the freaking crazy, bizarre thing. We applied for a dispensary license. We applied for this, uh, uh, we submitted a proposal to the city of Oakland for this shared social equity kitchen, which we ended up winning. Um, all while like COVID was like really just starting to come down in full force and shut everything down. Um, we also um, launched uh, delivery and response to COVID because uh, uh, people just, people can't, either can't go to dispensaries because the dispensaries are closed or uh, people don't want to leave their homes because, you know, they're terrified of the virus, which I can't blame them. Uh, so. Uh, we launched delivery. Um, uh, then I mentioned uh, we had a lot of protests, a lot of civil unrest. And um, as a result of that, there were lots of opportunists here in the Bay Area, organized crime ring, who saw that uh, the police were busy, so they would target 90% cannabis businesses in the area and rob them. It's been epic here. Like, uh, like this is obviously unprecedented, you know, never happened before, crazy, and a number of my dispensary clients uh, have been robbed. Uh, a number of my colleagues have been robbed. Um, and it's dispensaries, cultivation, uh, manufacturing, distros, the whole supply chain. And so uh, that's been really hard to deal with. So when I first got the call that this was happening, 3 a.m. Saturday, uh, Sunday morning. Um, I freaked out, obviously. Um, I started calling a bunch of my other colleagues and homies. And by 10 a.m., uh, my stuff was on it. My complete inventory was on its way out of the city because um, we just couldn't afford to get, you know, cleaned out and hit like that. And um, as the days have gone on, you know, some of my Clients and uh, colleagues have been hit two, three times. Uh, yeah, and, and everything completely gone. And then it's not, it's not even just all the inventory is gone. Like they trashed the buildings, you know, they, they broke all the windows, they shot up the place. Like it was really epic. Ransacked, completely ransacked. Like it's been nuts. So um, the, the whole COVID, uh, situation um, uh, coupled with the fact that um, you know police during all of this are still killing black people and um, and then black people are now you know we've had enough for a long time but it's definitely reached a boiling point and um, now that they're seeing this response it's all been so much you know um, a lot to deal with mentally, physically, uh, everything. Um, and then, you know, the world, the apocalypse happening, world collapsing, people rioting, people upset, people tired of being in their homes, people tired of, of, uh, of police treating black folks and citizens the way they've been doing. Like, it's just been all of it, so much weight. And, uh, but we, you know, mentally I'm trying to stay in a good place, which is why I, I remodeled my backyard <laughs> and, and put a bunch of flowers everywhere because I needed a nice sanctuary uh, to retreat to and go to amongst, amongst the craziness of, of uh, everything and what's happening. And um, yeah, I've, I've been doing okay. Wow. Not great, not terrible, but okay. Wow. Well, that is heavy. And I, I, I'm going to take a deep breath and I invite you to just take a deep breath because that's, I can't yeah. imagine going through all of that and, and just the state of things. And, you know, just to respond for a sec for the people who may be listening and don't know the history of cannabis prohibition and cannabis injustice so well. I just want to take a moment to, to, to say some stuff about that. And, um, you know, to me, it's pretty obvious from looking at the history that 
America is institutionally anti-black and institutionally anti-cannabis. And these two things have been merged together for decades. And, you know, I, I say in the book that um, cannabis prohibition institutionalized the harm of communities of color and specifically targeting black and brown men. And, you know, for ever since cannabis became illegal, it was really used to marginalize kind of the, the other or, you know, the non-white migrant or whatever. And, you know, I, I think there's uh, what's going on right now. I, th I think that the one piece that gives me optimism is that it, it seems like and again, I have a limited kind of history of seeing the protests and all this kind of stuff, but it seems to me like more people are beginning to understand just how significant and longstanding and pervasive these issues are and how disgusting and unfair it is. And, you know, my, my hope is that there... There's, there's in this moment an opportunity for people to understand, like people outside of cannabis to understand how big a part of all this cannabis has been. And now that cannabis is essential, right? You know, uh, it's like, it's essential for everyone to know that we got to get everyone out of jail who has a cannabis related, you know, criminal record and that these people need to have some kind of restitution and and they deserve access not only to be in the industry but before even that just to healing and to resources oh. to to undo the trauma of the criminal justice system which is Absolutely. you know way worse than the crime when the punishment is way worse than the crime um so i, I don't know i don't think anyone knows really what the solution is there or what the solutions are and you know we well we don't know but uh but we can uh, attempt to put things together to try and 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 do some sort of reparative justice right and and i feel like social equity programs are a, a segue into that you know are they perfect absolutely not but we got to start somewhere you know so uh, my group supernova women uh worked with the city of oakland to develop the country's first social equity program and um, that we've been working diligently uh, since its inception four years ago uh, to uh, make it better, you know? Uh, it, when it came out, it certainly wasn't perfect, right? But when you're the first to do something, it's, it's, it's gonna be a rough road, you know? And uh, now I feel like, um, you know, we're just constantly pushing the envelope, constantly pushing, um, Oakland and the state of California to do more um, for social equity to uh, essentially be a model for the rest of the country and what they can look like, um, what they can look like. Um, so, you know, Oakland has the most social equity operators, obviously, in the country. We have over 150 social equity uh, cannabis businesses here, and it's growing. The number is growing. And uh, with uh, these new programs, like the one that I'm spearheading, um, the social equity uh, shared manufacturing kitchen. It gives folks an opportunity to make branded products. Now, we know that branded products are have the biggest margins uh, in the supply chain. Like, you know, um, everyone's been kind of getting in and being either a delivery service or a distribu distributor because those are the lowest barriers of entry. But those are also the smallest margins um, out of the entire supply chain. So it's like, how do we create a presence on retail shelves so that consumers know this was made by a social equity business and that they know that they're uh, uh, supporting a, an actual brand, you know? And so uh, the city of Oakland gave me a $250,000 contract to uh, set up a kitchen, uh, mentor um, manufacturers that want to come in and make products. So I'm going to help them uh, develop their products, uh, help them uh, come up with their formulations, help them come up with a brand that works. We're also gonna look at the data, you know? We're gonna look at 
data and see what makes sense. Like what are the best selling products in the dispensaries? And then uh, run that against um, what, what makes the most sense uh, with what we've got uh, equipment wise, what we have access to. And um, we're gonna develop these products and then I am a distributor, so I'll be distributing them throughout my uh, supply channels. And, um, and then I also have a delivery service where we can incubate uh, these brands in, a, in the form of a monthly subscription box. So this is a pilot, you know, this is something that's new that's never been done before. I'm sure we're gonna have our fair share of bumps and things along the way, but uh, we're gonna figure it out. And, 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 and growth is not easy, you know what I mean? Growth is painful. And, but uh, bro growth is also progress. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to um, spearheading this and doing this with the city of Oakland and uh, hoping that uh, other municipalities across the country uh, follow suit. And then, um, you know, it doesn't end there. Like uh, that's just cannabis and, uh, and um, giving folks opportunities within cannabis. But when we look at the war on drugs and what it did to black and brown communities, completely decimated communities. People lost their jobs, people lost their homes, people lost loved ones, people lost their lives. Like how can we, um, get, what can we do to repair those things? So, you know, uh, I've been working, and when I say I, Supernova, we've been working with the Hood Incubator to really push the city of Oakland to do some transformative things. And, and they, they, we're looking long game. So we want, we want grants for housing for people that lost their houses, you know? We want money to go back into the community. We want community organizations that have been on the ground working, helping people with mental health, um, uh, helping those unhoused folks that have been displaced. Like that money needs to go back to all of those folks. And that is like phase two of this uh, social equity um, program in Oakland is, is redirecting 100% of the cannabis uh, tax uh, revenue to the community. So we'll, you know, I'll keep you posted as to how that goes, but that's what we're pushing for. And we have to have these big pie in the sky ideas or else like, what are we doing, you know? Absolutely. Um, wow. I would, I'm happy to just drop the mic and end the episode there. Cause I think <laughs> you just, you just said, first of all, kudos to you for being such a boss and doing all this excellent work. And I, I just want to respond to a few of those things. Cause I think it, it's, uh, there, there's a couple of things you said that I really, really want to highlight, which is one is, you know, a lot of this stuff has never been done before. A lot of everything in this industry has never been done before. And so if you're looking to get into this industry, or if you are in this industry, you have to be prepared to constantly go into the unknown and to try to, you know, you're going to have to fail forward often because it's never been done before. There is no blueprint. We're all figuring it out. And there's really no precedent for a lot of what's happening in this industry. So that's just something for any entrepreneur, prospective entrepreneur to, to be aware of. The second thing us, that, that, that I heard and loved is growth is painful. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, a lot of people want the, the trophy without the training or they don't want to do the work and they don't want to push themselves and, you know, the blood, sweat and tears and going beyond the comfort zone. It's, it's not optional. It's mandatory if you want to get anything done, anything substantial done. And then uh, a third thing that I will say is, you know, in the spirit of pushing the envelope, and, um, you know, I think this is my personal belief that, you know, the equity programs and, and they're, they're a start, but my judgment is not nearly enough. And I, I wish that more and more consumers and, and industry folks and government folks would just all demand more. And I get that, you know, it's a political issue and this and that and the other, but, you know, I, I think it's so, you know, pardon the, the per potentially charged politi politically incorrect language, but to me, it's so black and white that, you know, prohibition of cannabis institutionalized the destruction of communities of color. And so 
let's build a cannabis industry that institutionalizes investment in communities of color. And, you know, how do we do that? And I think it's exactly what you're describing is for, you know, thinking long-term, reinvesting 100% or close to 100% of tax revenue into those communities and not doing it through like, oh, the government will take care of it, but giving it to the actual community leaders and the organizers that have been on the ground supporting and healing and working in those communities for years, like empower them. And, and to me, it's so obvious, and this is, I'll get off my, uh, my pulpit after this, but it's so obvious to me that America's greatest strength is diversity. And by investing in communities of color and by doing it through cannabis, it will create, first of all, just great value for the whole country and for the whole world, but it will just usher in this paradigm shift of, of how we see each other and how we interact with each other. And hopefully it could be that, you know, I, I think it's just a beautiful story for cannabis to be that uniting force. Because in my personal experience, it's like, I share some cannabis with someone, we're friends. It doesn't matter their background, my background, their views, my views. We can connect on that thing and find some common ground. And it doesn't have to be that much more complicated than that. But unfortunately, human beings are, are weird animals. So anyway, that's, that's my rant for the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it back over to asking Amber questions about the cannabis industry. Although if you want to respond, that's, I'll give you that space as well. Oh, yeah, no, no, you're doing a great job. I really um, appreciate your commentary. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I want to ask you a little more kind of macro level about California and the state of the market and the industry then or there. Um, and I, I remember the last time I interviewed you for the book, it was, I don't remember exactly when it was, but the, I remember the context was like, they had just released, they were, they were switching over to the adult use regulations. And I remember you were like, I got to redo my, my, my labeling, my packaging, you know, and, and the constraints that they'd put on operators were ridiculous. Like, and, and so I'm curious. I'll call that the good old days. Those are the good old (laughs) days. Oh man. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to hear, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of not great things about the state of California these days, but I'd be curious to hear from someone who's, you know, immersed in it kind of what is the lay of the land these days? Oh, right now. Um, it's interesting, you know, um, with the pandemic, I feel like people have been smoking a lot more weed, which is great. Um, um, I feel like the unregulated market has run out of weed, <laughs> which is interesting. And um, I've been hearing from uh, from folks that the prices are just as, as almost the same as they are on the regulated market. So I think that's been pushing folks to the regulated market because it costs the same. You might as well get something that's been tested, you know, and, and gone through the supply chain. Um, however, um, with us being taxed so much and really the realities of that setting in from the first time you and I spoke about it a couple of years ago, um, I mean, that's been wiping people out left and right. You know, there's very little profit uh, to be made if you're not running a a lean business, you know? So um, for instance, in my facility, I've had to automate quite a bit of things where uh, I would normally have a human doing it. Now we've got tons of machines and uh, we did that because if we didn't, we wouldn't survive, you know, there'd be no, there'd be no money. (laughs) It's none. Uh, We pay a tent, we pay, uh, well, uh, we used to pay a 10% tax, which was the highest uh, cannabis tax in the state of California in Oakland. But uh, my group, Supernova, along with the Hood Incubator and uh, OSEP, we all worked uh, as a coalition to apply pressure to city council and they lowered the cannabis tax. 
um, for all, gen all businesses, but in particular, small business and social equity businesses. So now we've got a little bit more breathing room, whereas before we were paying a 10% a, a tax, that's been lowered to 6.5%. So uh, that's pretty significant when we're looking at the, the margins and the numbers here. And, uh, but you know, like it's, it's not easy being an operator here. Like not only are, do we have these crazy threats of, uh, of being robbed, right? And, uh, and uh, dealing with, uh, with all of that stuff, but then we've got these crazy cannabis taxes and uh, all of the, the cost of compliance, um the fees inspections like it's just a lot to deal with so uh you know my worries before were oh my packaging and my labeling and now they're like oh my gosh like you know uh <laughs> robberies <laughs> um uh, uh taxes unbelievable amount of taxes and uh and build out of our facilities you know and 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 just trying to make sure we're running a business that's in the black, uh, because uh, so many, so many folks are in the red right now. It's I don't even see how people are really surviving. And in 2020 is definitely been a year of reckoning in California cannabis. Whereas, like, if you can make it through this year, you can make it through anything. You know. I I gotta follow up. You said the the illicit market has run out of product. Yeah, I mean, we're talking $4,000 pounds out here. That was wow. not a thing. <laughs> it was like 1700 1800 a year ago. Now we're talking double. Wow. And is that, why, is that just because there's so much more demand now all over the country or what? Yes. Yeah. People are staying home smoking weed, you know? <laughs> And I, I, before the, the lockdown hit New York, I like, I told everyone, I was like, listen, if there was a time to stock up, this is the time. You don't want to be stuck at home for the next two months without weed. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Um, uh, I want to ask you, because you work on so many different things and you've been able to accomplish a lot in this industry, uh, I wonder what is your superpower that allows you to do all of that? Uh, grit, uh, definitely grit. Like, sure, I get discouraged sometimes, but I never give up. Like, I'm one of those entrepreneurs that I will exhaust every option before conceding and moving moving on. You know, but that I, I and I also understand that that has to happen quickly because you can't just sit there and like ruminate over something that's not gonna work out. You know, but I I work I work fast. And, um, and I exhaust all of my options before moving on, definitely. But grit, grit is what allows me to do that. Like, just that real, I'm scrappy, you know, and, um, and uh, it's really hard to um, convince me, uh, no, Amber, no, I, I don't take no for an answer, you know. <laughs> nice, awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah. what, what advice do you have for women and people of color who want to start, invest in, or enter the cannabis industry or get a job in the industry or just be in the business? Sure. Um, if you want to be successful, do your due diligence. And that's, it's all about doing your due diligence, whether it's an investment, whether it's you want to go work for someone. And, you know, if you, if you, if you want to be successful at that, um, you got to do a ton of research, you know, um, look into it. Like if, if you're, it's investment and you're investing in a public company, like you've got access to all of those, uh, all of their public filings. Like you've got to, you've really got to go through and comb through that stuff and make sure what you're investing in is a, uh, is a vehicle that's set up for success and not something like MedMen where they're going to raise a hundred million dollars and pocket half of it between two of the top people like that to me was so insane and irresponsible and really um, set up the rest of the industry for uh, it gave investors a bad taste in their mouth, you know, so it ended up hurting me indirectly 
because now, you know, people are shy and gun shy about uh, investing in cannabis because of some other people's being, being irresponsible. But at the end of the day, I feel like uh, investors were constantly throwing money at them and uh, not digging below the surface. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a product of not doing the due diligence and making sure you're making a, a good investment. And then on the other hand, uh, they're talking about folks that are looking to get into the industry. Um, if you're getting in and you wanna start a business, um, you know, make sure that you are going into something or investing into something that's gonna make some money or that you've, <laughs> that you've got uh, some expertise in. You know, lots of people, want to start a dispensary because that's kind of the 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 glitzy glitterly grit the thing with covered in glitter right now you know everybody's like oh it's so sexy but it's not it's a retail store at the end of the day it's a retail shop like you know me personally i'm not looking to buy the liquor store i'm looking to own the uh patron on the shelves i don't want to own the liquor store who cares you know but um the Patron, that's in all the liquor stores. That's where I want to be. Right. That's <laughs> why I've got the Congo Club right there. That, there exactly. Right? And then if you're looking to work for someone in the industry and you want to make a career out of this, make sure you pick a good company to work for. You know, uh, work for someone that you admire or at least a company that's doing good that, um, that can help you um, um, that's like a stepping stone along the way, you know, and always look at it as a, as a stepping stone. Don't definitely don't get into it thinking like, Oh, this is where I'm going to be. And I'm going to stay here. You know, no, like the industry is changing so much and, and fluctuating. Like these are stepping stones to greater things. Amazing. I love that advice, especially because in my book, I say the biggest mistake that, um, beginners or, or new entrants into this industry make is not doing enough research and not being prepared enough. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated industry. You got to really, you know, do twice as much research for, for cannabis. Um, Amber, I want to ask you real quick uh, to, to tell our viewers and listeners about some black owned cannabis brands that they could support if they are so inclined. Yeah, sure. Let's see. Well, um, I can talk about some Bay Area brands, you know, so if you ever come and visit Oakland or San Francisco, definitely look out for, uh, there's my brand, the Congo Club, right? It's a sativa brand. I also have a brand called Leisure Life, which is uh, ingestibles as well as flour. Um, then there is uh, SF Roots, which is a Black-owned cannabis brand in San Francisco. Uh, they offer a bunch of smokable products. There's uh, the Peaks Company, which grows very fine, very excellent cannabis. Uh, they're uh, based in Oakland. Uh, there's New Life, one of my homies, Carlton. Uh, he is based in Oakland as well. They are cultivators. Uh, let's see, there is a uh, number of delivery services, a tea pad, um, which is uh, my friend and first social equity business licensed in California. It's Raven Duckett, a woman-owned, uh, Black-owned company. Uh, oh, geez, let's see. There's um, Posh uh, Green, which is a dispensary in San Francisco uh, that's run by uh, Reese Benton. She's uh, the first social equity business in San Francisco. Uh, there's uh, uh, the Pharmacy in Berkeley, which is run by um, Sue Taylor. Uh, she's a senior citizen, black woman, uh, first senior citizen to own a dispensary in the United States. Uh, well, first uh, black uh, women, woman senior citizen. Um, let's see, oh geez, there's so many, you know? Um, I'm actually pulling up my list here, making sure I, uh, Oh yes, James Henry, those are my friends. Uh, they uh, have vapes, uh, they sell vapes. They're based here in Oakland, social equity company as well. Uh, there's Lobo, they make um, cannabis cigars. Uh, they're also a social equity company based in Oakland. Uh, there's uh, Cloud9, um, which are actually some good friends of mine. We actually work in the same neighborhood. 
um, of Oakland and uh, they grow, they're cultivators, they grow cannabis. Um, a number of delivery services, right? Uh, New Life, my friend uh, that I was just mentioning as a cultivator, he also has delivery service. Um, Shady Pines Box Club, which is my delivery service. Uh, there's Blunts and More, which is uh, a, the first social equity dispensary in the country there uh, in Oakland. Um, there is Purple Heart, which is actually the first licensed dispensary in the country, period. And uh, they're based in Oakland. That's a, it's a black dispensary. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, uh, Green Line, another uh, delivery service. Bake Queen, another delivery service. The Higher Collection, another delivery service. So uh, lots of people in the Bay um, doing their thing out here. Uh, making waves and uh, carving our own lane uh, in cannabis. Amazing. Well, I would love if maybe you could introduce me to some of those folks so I could bring them onto the podcast as well and chop absolutely. it up with them. That would be great. Cool. Yeah, Thank you. Absolutely. All right, Ember, we have about seven minutes because uh, I want to get you to your meeting on time. So I want to shift gears into the coaching piece. And honestly, I'm I don't know how much I can give you in seven minutes, but I'm going to try my damnedest. And so I'm wondering what's the biggest challenge you're dealing with right now? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I would say um, actually one big thing I'm dealing with is adding to my team on the executive level, right? Like, uh, it's been myself as the CEO and my business partner, Caesar as the CFO uh, for uh, a very long time since we started, you know? And now we're at the point where we're like, oh, geez, okay, like, we need to add another chief here. We need, we need a third person. We need a COO here. We need an operations ops person. And, you know, I've been thinking about this and this person for years, you know, like, I know we need them, but it's just a matter of like, how do I go about finding that person? Like, what's the dynamic going to be like? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's been a real wait. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's one of my biggest challenges and something that I've got to face here pretty soon. Gotcha. So I'm hearing that you're looking for a COO and you've been aware that you need one for a while or have been thinking about it for a while, but what's the roadblock? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess like uh, kind of uh, the fear is like just adding somebody else, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's been me and my business partner this whole time. And now adding this third element, uh, who I prefer to be a woman. Um, I think it's just a matter of uh, entrusting someone in this baby that we've built, you know? Got yeah. it. So, so it's a, the, the fear of maybe making the wrong choice or, or bringing yeah. someone in and, you know, the giving up control and having to trust someone. Right, like we hire staff, you know, I've hired um, a lot of staff, well, I'm saying a lot, I only have well, like seven employees, so we're still pretty small, but um, I, I think my staff is really happy, and I try to take care of them as much as, uh, as, much as I can and meet their needs uh, as, as, as adequately as we can, you know, and um, I think the fear and adding a person is that I, I just want want to make sure that they mesh well with our personalities you know uh, my business partner is a bit quirky I'm a bit quirky <laughs> you know aren't we all right yeah especially you got to be crazy in cannabis cannabis oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah so I got this don't grow up it's a trap you know it's it is a trap <laughs> um Amber I heard you say earlier that you have a great staff and mm -hmm what allowed you to make those hiring decisions in a good way? Um, you know, I think uh, just uh, 
getting to know, well, it's like a lot of the people that work with us, I've known for years, you know, um, our salesperson who was our newest hire is someone that I did not know at all. I hired them through Indeed. That was like the first time uh, we had done something like that. And she's so rock solid, awesome person. And uh, I was a little put off and worried because her resume was like six pages long. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I wanted to just toss it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not reading this. But my business partner was like, oh, no, like, I'm going to read this. And he actually read through the whole thing. And it, and after he convinced me to read through it, I read through it. And I was like, okay, well, then there's something here. And we interviewed her. And uh, well, I called her first. I really liked uh, our conversation on the phone. Brought her in, we did an interview, and we and then we ended up hiring her, and she's so solid, you know. So um, I don't know, yeah, like uh, that that was kind of like my first time hiring someone that I I had no idea who they were, didn't know who they were, and it ended up being a good a good decision. You know? And maybe it's just that being gun shy because. I, I don't know of anyone in my network that would be a good COO. So now I know I have to go outside of my network to find someone. Right, right, right. Well, hmm. I feel like there's a really, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm sitting here and I, I feel like I trust that you, between you and your partner and your staff, like I feel like the chances of someone getting by all of those layers of, you know, not fitting with the culture or not being a person of integrity or whatever. Like, I, I feel like it would be, it's very hard for me to imagine you making a bad choice. You know what I'm saying? Cause it, yeah. it's like, you have, you have a lot of experience. You, you and your partner obviously have, have built this thing and are going to be very judicious about who you allow and if you already have a staff and a culture and some camaraderie then you know i think it, it seems to me like it would be you know hard for someone to slip through and kind of be really bad and 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 i also trust that you know you're savvy enough that you know the deal would be such that if they were really bad you would get them the hell out of there quick you know yeah. and and that they wouldn't yeah. have very much control or or you know I, I i don't know i i so i i i feel like it's just maybe and i'm kind of going fast here so i'm you know forgive me if i'm like not really digging in um i don't know it seems to me like maybe it's really just the fear of the the giving up control or getting it wrong right, that, the growth right the, <laughs> the fear of growth yeah and, and you know if i had more time i would ask you like what's the risk of not bringing someone in you know of just like keeping keeping staying in this position that you're in right now where you you feel like you might need someone but you're reluctant to to go through it like you know what's the risk of not bringing someone in versus what's the risk of bringing someone in and yeah, just kind the risk of, of not bringing someone in is much greater like that that it would be no good because we wouldn't be able to handle everything and i'd run myself into the ground you know right yeah all right so i, I feel like that's the scoop i feel like that's the scoop i could i could give you in seven minutes and i want to be mindful of your time and I want to ask you if that was useful or helpful at all. That was. That was that was helpful. That was good. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Before I let you go, because I know you have to go buy a building right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are, I wanted to uh, offer you the chance to, you know, say any parting words or maybe, uh, you know, say anything to the people that maybe we didn't cover or whatever. You know, just just uh, you know, cl close us out, if you will. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, shoot for the moon. Definitely shoot for the moon. You know, um, I'm always amazed at the progress that we make, but then I'm also not really amazed because this is a new industry, and we can create the world we want to live in, and we can do whatever we want. 
you know? So the more that I sit in that and then I believe in that, the more we make things happen. So shoot for the moon. Amazing. I love that. And that's uh, in line with what you told me when, when we spoke about, uh, you know, for the book where you, you said that this industry creates an opportunity to, to create your own world and to build the world you and life that you want for yourself. And that's certainly been my experience. And I, I, I want to encourage anyone who's listening uh, or watching that this plant and this industry as a result of the plant uh, provide that opportunity to, to create the world you want and create the life that you want. And it, it's, it's for real. It's, it doesn't come easy. You got to put in a lot of work for sure. And there will be pain and struggle but it's possible. And, and I want to add one, one last piece, which is, you know, if you have any doubt that one person can make a difference, well, then you've just met Amber Center, who is living proof because she's had a lot of impact in this industry as an individual, and I have no doubt will continue to do so. So, you know, let that inspire you to, to, to see your own power and to get involved in this industry or even in the advocacy, you know, forget the industry, fuck the industry, get involved in advocacy first and foremost and make a difference in the world. And then if you want to do some business in cannabis and make some money, then go do that. Um, so that's my closing piece. And actually I got one, one last thing for you, Amber, before I let you jump, which is, you know, maybe this is like, you know, old news for you or, or something that's like obvious and simple, but what I would encourage you to do and this is what the, the advice I give anyone if I'm like ever doing dating coaching or relationship coaching is, you know, like make your wish list of who is this person that you're looking for and what qualities do they have? And just, just making the list and knowing what you're looking for, I find makes it much easier because then you kind of, I, you know, I believe in like the whole manifesting kind of thing. And once you write it out, you know, Maybe you'll attract that person or, or at the very least, when you see that person or when you come across that person, you'll know, oh shit, this is who I'm looking for because you've, you've had the checklist ready. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's, that's my- That is my, helpful. And I, I'm going to do that today. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. That's what I love. And on that note, Amber, thank you so very much for being you and for being here with me today. And- Best of luck with the building and with everything you're doing. And I can't wait to to get to the Bay Area sometime soon and try your bud. I, I've been I've been seeing it all over Instagram and all over social media. I, I gotta try it. You know, I'm looking I'm looking <laughs> forward to that day. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the discussion this morning. This is a nice start to my uh, to my day. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you, Amber. Yeah. Have a good day. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The cannabis business coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The cannabis business coach.